longest-range missiles ever from North Korea. Launching today, it flew over Japanese territory. The U.S. and allies react. German lawmakers in Taiwan for the first time since the pandemic broke out, showing support for democracy. No politically sensitive research before the Communist Party Congress. That's the message China reportedly sent to all foreign banks operating on its turf. Beijing looking for info from foreign diplomats in Hong Kong. A message allegedly asking for floor plan details for their homes and offices. And over a hundred Chinese police centers operating across the globe, including one in New York. What does it mean for Americans and what should be done? An expert breaks it down. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Some Taiwanese people believe a war with communist China is around the corner. But for some in Japan, that threat might be right above their heads. North Korea conducted its longest-range missile test yet on Tuesday. The missile appeared to fly over Japanese territory before falling into the Pacific Ocean. Here are the details. North Korea conducted its longest-range missile test yet on Tuesday, firing a ballistic missile over Japan for the first time in five years. South Koreans watched a news report of the launch at a railway station in the capital, Seoul. The missile appeared to fly over Japanese territory before falling into the Pacific Ocean. In Japan, the government issued an alert warning its citizens to take cover and stay inside buildings. The launch also caused a temporary suspension of train operations in the north of the country. Pyongyang's latest launch drew condemnation from leaders in neighboring countries, from South Korea's President Yoon Suk-yeol to Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida. Tokyo said it took no steps to shoot the missile down, but Defense Minister Yasukazu Hamada said Japan wouldn't rule out counterattack capabilities. The latest launch was Pyongyang's fifth in 10 days and comes a week after anti-submarine drills were held between the U.S., South Korea and Japan. Recent missile tests have drawn relatively muted responses from Washington, which is focused on the war in Ukraine, as well as other domestic and foreign issues. Washington has strongly condemned this most recent missile, however, calling the decision both dangerous and reckless. Last week, South Korean lawmakers said the North had completed preparations for a nuclear test, which it might look to undertake sometime between China's Communist Party Congress this month and U.S. midterm elections in November. On the heels of North Korea's missile launch, the U.S., Japan and South Korea responded with their own show of force in the region. Fighter jets from the U.S. and Japan carried out joint drills on Tuesday over the Sea of Japan. In a phone call between President Biden and Japan's Prime Minister Kishida, both leaders agreed to boost immediate and longer-term Japan-U.S. deterrence over North Korea's launch. South Korean warplanes also lifted off with a U.S. combined precision bombing exercise and fired weapons at a virtual target off South Korea's west coast. South Korean officials said the drills were aimed at demonstrating their ability to strike North Korean targets. South Korea and Japan said earlier that missiles from North Korea are capable of intermediate and long-range flight. Experts speculate that the launch was a test for a weapon that could target U.S. soil. And in the South China Sea, the U.S. and the Philippines are strengthening their Navy cooperation. The two nations kicked off two-week joint maritime exercises on Monday as part of efforts to counter Chinese aggression. The drills are called a command ag, and they're happening right off the Philippine coast. Here's more. Commandog provides an invaluable opportunity to build upon the friendship 
and trust between our nations, which will be key to our success together in any future mission we may be given. We must always ensure we're ready when our nations need us. Our efforts together during this exercise will help us do exactly that. It's the sixth iteration of the annual joint exercises. About 530 Filipino and 2,500 U.S. Marines are expected to participate. The various drills include humanitarian assistance, live fire exercises, and amphibious landing operations in various locations in the Philippines. They will take place from October 3rd to 14th. Japan's Ground Self-Defense Force and South Korea's Marine Corps will observe the drills. Last month, in their first face-to-face talks, President Biden and his Philippine counterpart, Fernando Marcos, met on the sidelines of the United Nations General Assembly. They underscored their support for freedom of navigation and flight in the South China Sea in response to Beijing's efforts to exert its influence there. Germany would stand up for Taiwan if China attacked the island. That's what a senior German lawmaker said on Monday while on a trip to Taiwan. Let's zoom in. Germany will bravely stand up to assist and support Taiwan if it faces such military threats. That's the comment German lawmaker Klaus-Peter Wilsch made to Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen. In the German parliament, we have made it clear on various occasions and debates that we find it unacceptable for you to also be threatened with military force by a neighbor, to force you into an unwanted collaboration. Wilsch is the chairman of the German-Taiwan Parliamentary Friendship Group. It's the first parliamentary delegation from Germany to visit Taiwan since the COVID-19 pandemic broke out in late 2019. Tsai said Taiwan wants to rally together with democracies worldwide. This is why all democratic countries should rally together even more closely and collaborate to protect the line of defense of the values of freedom and democracy. Another German lawmaker delegation is set to visit the island at the end of October. New reports suggest China may be looking to keep certain information under wraps, and it's asking banks to help. Beijing is allegedly telling foreign investment banks to stay silent on politics ahead of a crucial Communist Party Congress. That's according to a report from The Wall Street Journal, citing anonymous sources. China's securities regulators sent out a message to investment banks, including the Chinese branches of J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs. It asked the banks to not publish research that could be politically sensitive. In the past, Chinese authorities cautioned foreign banks in a similar manner ahead of major political events. The key Communist Party meeting is scheduled for mid-October. It will decide who will hold positions of power in China. Current leader Xi Jinping is expected to secure a third term. NTD reached out to J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs for comment, but did not receive an immediate response. Foreign diplomats in Hong Kong are getting a request from Beijing. They're reportedly being asked to hand over floor plan information on all their properties. And it's not just floor plans of their office buildings. Also included in the ask, floor plans for the diplomats' own homes. On top of that, Chinese officials also want to know about the terms of rentals or sales. That's according to a report from the Financial Times, citing anonymous sources. Diplomats are concerned that Beijing could use the information to plant listening devices. A former U.S. Consul General in Hong Kong told the Financial Times that it may reflect a change of mindset. 
The former diplomat Kurt Tong said before the changes of 2019 and 2020, China's foreign ministry usually took a minimalist approach and mostly avoided the sort of tight control of diplomats seen in the mainland. Because their goal was to have foreign missions that could operate easily in Hong Kong to help China do business with the world. Yet that now the mindset seems to be that some foreign missions are not welcome. NTD has reached out to U.S. consulates general in Hong Kong for comment, but did not immediately receive a reply. The U.K. seems to be going on higher alert over the China threat, but just a little. The British government has blocked a Chinese firm from accessing sensitive information about Britain's power grid. That's as concerns grow about Beijing's involvement in critical infrastructure in the West. The U.K.'s business secretary said the deal posed risk to the country's national security. Here's the situation. The U.K. allowed a subsidiary of a Chinese state-owned company to acquire 35 percent stake in an energy company called Electricity Northwest, but with certain conditions. Those include restricting the Chinese company's access to critical information, as well as its influence over appointments of key staff members of the British power network operator. The UK's business secretary issued the order under the country's new National Security and Investment Act. The act grants powers to the government to intervene in acquisitions that could harm the UK's national security. Over 100 Chinese police centers are stationed around the world, including in the UK, Canada, and even one in New York City. What's their purpose, and are these Chinese police centers legal in other countries? We sat down with Frank Gaffney, vice chair of the Committee on the Present Age of China, to find out more. So, Frank, there are reports coming out that China has opened over 100 overseas police stations, including one in New York City and three in Canada. So to begin, what is China doing with these? Well, these so-called overseas Chinese police service centers um, make it sound as though they're just trying to facilitate you know, the liaison between Chinese police and uh, local communities of Chinese nationals, principally, I guess. In practice, what they are, evidently, is, as frankly one would expect from the Chinese Communist Party, instruments of reaching out and not just touching, but garroting individuals that they seek to either, you know, uh, extricate from wherever they may be and return home to face prosecution there for some cause, or uh, perhaps to force them to engage in, who knows, uh, espionage, uh, recruitment, sabotage, any number of other things, I would imagine. Of particular concern, though, is that uh, according to a report out of Spain by uh, Safeguard Defenders, I believe it's called, some 230,000 people have been compelled to return to China. And that alone, I think, is a extraordinary indictment of what these service centers are actually servicing. And Frank, it sounds like in a way this is letting the Chinese regime almost operate in these other countries. So how is this even legal or is it legal? The law that they say they are enforcing 
which was adopted, I believe, about a year ago, applies not just to Chinese nationals overseas, but also to foreign nationals who they charge with some kind of criminal misconduct. So conceivably, what you're seeing is a vehicle for not just compelling people against their will to return to China, but perhaps compelling foreigners uh, to go there as well to suffer whatever fate the Chinese Communist Party would have in mind for them, which is probably not good. So I would consider this, and I'm not an attorney, but I would consider this to be completely contrary to our laws, to our constitution in this country. And then on a video screen, they have a prosecutor in China sitting with one of the relatives of the target. And the clear message being sent, either explicitly or at least implicitly, is bad things will happen to that individual in China if you do not comply with whatever you're being told to do. And again, that's the sort of thing that uh, we will not accept, I believe, in our country, not from our own law enforcement agencies and certainly not from a foreign, to say nothing of a hostile foreign one like the Chinese Communist Party. Coming up, a closer look at Chinese police centers in the U.S. and whether Americans should be concerned. You may not be interested in war, but war is interested in you. And the same is true of the Chinese Communist Party. They are very interested in us because they believe, rightly I think, that this country is the only real impediment to the realization of their ambitions. What are the Chinese Communist regime's ambitions? And what can the West do to counter them? More on that after the break, here on China In Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. More than 100 Chinese police centers around the globe, with one of them in New York City. Should Americans be concerned? And what can be done about them? Frank Gaffney, the vice chair of the Committee on the President of China, explains. And given all that, based on these reports, is it common practice for countries to enter into these agreements? Well, again, I'm not sure what the nature of any kind of formal arrangement would be that would permit these things to operate. I have the feeling that they're doing it mostly surreptitiously rather than in a formal way, um, but confident that they can get away with it because people don't want to mess with the Chinese Communist Party, at least in many of these countries. How this is being done in the United States of America, though, I think is something we need to get to the bottom of right quick, especially since, if, as I say, the Chinese are not simply forcing people to go back to China and stand trial, but they may be giving them directions to do other things. And, and just think about it. I mean, if it's espionage, if it's recruitment, if it's influence operations, if it's sabotage or subversion, those are the sorts of things we need to not only know about, but ensure do not continue in our country. 
It sounds like many of those areas falls under national security threats. So what would be some ways of countering this? What would those steps look like? Well, there's a basic principle that I think you can start with, which is, do we have reciprocal arrangements with China? Do we have a reciprocal you know, basis for having the FBI operating in service centers across China? Of course, the answer to that is no. So on that grounds alone, I would say these, these things ought to be shut down. But beyond that, I, I think the question is, has there been some sort of authorization given to allow the Chinese to do this? If so, on what basis? With what constraints, if any? Is there, in fact, oversight of what they're doing and to whom? Uh, is any effort being made to protect people who may be American citizens? They may well have fled the Chinese communist misrule and become, over time, you know, fully entitled to be in this country and to have all of the protections of our country. What's being done about that? And so I, I think that there's a there's a question of uh, who knows about these operations? What do they know about them? Is this being done with the Biden administration's permission? And if not, how fast can we close these operations down? And and by the way, I think we ought to be pressing other governments to do the same, particularly in Canada, where, you know, you could find very easily those operations reaching into our country if they were allowed to continue. And where would the concerned citizen go to try and find answers to these? And if they find the answers, who would they press for solutions? I personally believe that every person standing for elective office in our country ought to be asked about China. In fact, we've done what we call the brief, which is designed to inform Americans about what is going on with China, what it does to its own people, what it has in mind doing to ours, what it is doing to ours, and what we need to do about it. It's about a half an hour presentation. It can be seen at ccpatwar.com look for the brief. And I think those kinds of questions need to be put to people who seek to represent us. And on that note, Frank, what other ways are you seeing the Chinese regime wage unrestricted warfare against America? It really is just about everything you can think of. And, and don't take my word for it. There was a book published in 1999 by two senior People's Liberation Army colonels that laid out, I think it was 20 or so different ways in which the Chinese Communist Party, in a period before they became strong enough militarily to fight us the old fashioned way, could wage war against us. And it took the form of economic warfare, political warfare, information operations, subversion, uh, threats to our electric grid, and, and not least, biological warfare. You may not be interested in war, but war is interested in you. And the same is true of the Chinese Communist Party. They are very interested in us because they believe, rightly, I think, that this country is the only real impediment to the realization of their ambitions. Xi Jinping calls it the China dream of dominating the entire world, including 
our country. And Frank, speaking of that, the Chinese leader Xi Jinping is seeking his third term in the upcoming 20th Congress in China. So going forward, what should the U.S.'s priorities be in dealing with China? Personally, I was imprinted by Ronald Reagan, who I had the privilege of working for uh, in the Defense Department during his presidency. He set about not simply trying to figure out how to coexist with or even contain what he called the existential threat of his time, namely the Soviet Union and its Communist Party, but actually rolling it back and defeating it. And interestingly, going back to what we were talking about a moment ago, in 1980, Ronald Reagan sought a mandate from the American people to do just that, to defeat the Soviet Union. He got that mandate overwhelmingly in the course of the 1980 election, and he went on to accomplish it. I think that's what we need to be doing. I think this Chinese Communist Party is not just a mortal threat to us, it is a horrific, indeed mortal, threat to its own people. We ought to be delegitimating it, we ought to be countering at every turn its influence operations here for sure, but through the Belt and Road Initiative and other steps internationally, and indeed be trying to help the Chinese Communist Party, you know, meet an end at the hands of the Chinese people at the soonest possible moment. It is in all of our interests that that happen. Unfortunately, we are still at this moment engaged in what Ronald Reagan ran against in 1980, namely a detente or engagement policy with this enemy. And as he recognized, that's a formula for disaster. So I think we really need a course correction on this. And I pray that we will get guidance to candidates for elective office this fall to do just that, starting in most cases in January. We urgently need it. We're still following the story and we'll keep you updated as new developments come out. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. But before you go, a quick announcement. I'll be away tomorrow, but NTD's evening host, Stephania Cox, will be filling in for me. I'll see you all Thursday. Thanks for watching. See you soon.